0: Good morning. It is good to see each of you. If you are visiting with us, uh, again, we welcome you. It encourages us that you are here, and we hope that we can be an encouragement to you. Uh, what a wonderful Sunday it is. Any Sunday is a wonderful Sunday, opportunity to worship God. Uh, but today marks a, a great point in the, now the history of the Mount Juliet congregation. We are glad that J.P., Jonathan Pettis, is working with us beginning this week. Uh, Many of you met him Wednesday night, and some of you, of course, already know him from him being here in the past, working here as an intern in the summer, but I'd like to ask him and Betsy to stand, if they would, and let everybody see them, and uh, they also have Xander there, their son, and we welcome you guys. We are thankful that you're here. JP's going to be working as our involvement minister. As we grow larger, one of the things that's so important is, is for us not to lose sight of individuals. And so much of his ministry, the way he'll work with deacons, the way he'll work with the staff, and even with the elders and with you, is to help all of us keep our focus and attention upon each individual soul. One soul is worth more than the whole world. And be praying for him. It's not easy to come into a position that has not existed previously. Andrew can tell you that. As he came in serving as an involvement minister or as an educational minister, but yet he wasn't replacing an educational minister. And so as he strives to not only find his way around the life of this congregation, he also has to find his way around the work. And how is it best to fulfill this responsibility? Be praying for him. Be supportive of him in every way that you can. And... Uh, I know from being with you for a few years, this is a great place uh, to be a minister, and I'm sure that they will find that as the same blessing in the life of their family. Do keep in mind, family day, there are postcards that are available out in the foyer. Uh, We appreciate the basses making these available for us on a continuous basis. This year, it's October 21st, Lonnie Jones will be the speaker. Lonnie is a tremendous, tremendous speaker. Be sure, now's the time, only a couple weeks out. Now's the time to be inviting your family. Also invite your friends. But please, create a list of, of five to ten folks that you're going to invite. Uh, send them a postcard. Give them a call also. and Let them know that you're genuine about your invitation for them to be with you. Who have you invited lately? When's the last time you've invited wouldn't it be a shame if some of us had to say, well, it's been a few weeks before, since I've invited anyone. Let's make sure that we have that a part of our weekly schedule, that we're constantly telling people of the Lord and of His church. We're constantly inviting folks to come and to learn more of Him. Friends, there's a day coming when we're going to be reminded that's all that mattered, the Lord and Him crucified. Let's be sure and let our friends know that. Isn't it amazing how descriptive words can be? You can take and not know someone at all and then in just one paragraph at least feel like that you can picture them. Mitch Albom is a very descriptive writer and in his book, Tuesdays with Morrie, he writes of a professor. Just to illustrate how powerful words can be in painting a picture and clarifying things, most of you probably don't have any idea what his professor looked like. Listen to this paragraph and see then if you can picture him. Afterwards, I find he's, he has been at his graduation and he has invited his parents, of course, to come to his graduation. And then he says, afterwards, I find Maurice Schwartz, my favorite professor, and introduced him to my parents. He's a small man who takes small steps as if a strong wind could, at any time, whisk him up into the clouds. In his graduation day robe, he looks like a cross between a biblical prophet and a Christmas elf. He has sparkling blue-green eyes, thinning silver hair that spills into his forehead, big ears, a triangular nose, and tufts of gray eyebrows. Although his teeth are crooked and his lower ones are slanted back as if someone had once punched them in, when he smiles, it's as if you just told him the first joke on earth. I can picture him, can't you? What about the cross? Can you picture the cross? No, not, not just the two pieces of wood and the man hanging from the cross. Can you picture why the cross? Shortly into this series this fall, I received this email from one of you. And it echoed my thoughts and what I'm sure many of us felt. The more I study this subject, the less I really understand it all. I mean, why? Why would God allow His Son to suffer when all He has to do is... Question mark, question mark, question mark. Fill in the blank. Couldn't God have done anything... To save us. Why His Son upon a cross? The mystery of the cross. The text that's been so capably read for us mentioned in verse 7 that when Paul preached, he preached the mystery of God. And the word mystery there points to that that was unknown, that became known because their preaching was from God. You remember in in Acts, the second chapter, those individuals had previously been the ones who had crucified Jesus because he says here in our text in verse 8, in 1 Corinthians, the second chapter in verse 8, notice which none of the rulers of this age knew. For had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. You see, he's saying, let me preach something to you. Let me give you something that is a revelation. It's something that, it's a mystery. In other words, at one time it was unknown, but now God is making this known to us. Skip down and notice verse 10 of the text that was read. How did this become known? But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. The apostles could just stand up and by inspiration, in other words, they could give a God breathed message. They wrote that message down. Now, when you and I read the words, we read what God wants us to understand. In other words, we read what God has revealed. God has taken the mystery out of it and He has made it known. What did He make known? On that day of Pentecost, we see individuals that previously, because they did not know the mystery, crucified Jesus. And after they knew the mystery, He even says, then they would not have crucified Him. But then they came to Him. Now friends, today we're going to cover so many things in in some sense that, that we won't be able to drive home some of the points the way I wish we could. But I want you to notice this. When we understand the revelation that God has given us about the cross, it's not just about the forgiveness of sins, which is huge. But it's about changing lives. And you look in Acts 2 how those individuals' lives change. Now back up and let's scan some things in this text. If you have your Bible open, 1 Corinthians, the second chapter. Notice some things out of the first five verses. In verse 1, he tells how he came to them. Paul coming into Corinth, he came to them and he says, I did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. And now skip down to three. I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. Now pause there for a moment. Would you want to hear a preacher like that? What about if a preacher just shot straight with you and said, Look, I don't have a lot of excellent speech. You're probably not going to think I'm a great speaker. The truth is, you're going to notice that I'm scared to death. How many of us say, Ooh, give me that Give me that preacher. I'd, I'd love to hear him. Notice, Paul never viewed himself as the masterpiece. He viewed the message as the masterpiece. Now let's fill in that middle verse we skipped. Go back and look at verse 2. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Paul, what did you preach? Later on he says, I preached the mysteries. The things they didn't know, I made it known. What was it? What was it that changed their life? I look at Corinth, a place that was so immoral, a place that was that was filled with with paganism. And now later I see aspects of Corinth where there are faithful Christians. I see people dedicated to God. How did you do that, Paul? It wasn't any kind of fancy presentation. I preached Jesus and the cross. That is the revealed message that when we read it, it changes lives. What are some word pictures? Just as a few minutes ago we heard a man use words to paint a picture in our mind. What are some word pictures that God has given by revelation? That he's saying to us, if you'll understand these words, you're going to understand the cross. And again, I emphasize to you, we're not just talking about, are we going to understand whether or not Jesus was or was not on that cross? Whether or not He did or did not die? I think most of us understand that. But why? Why did He have to die? Why does that redeem us? Why does that offer a new life? If we're going to understand the mystery of the cross, there are many words we need to study. And over the next few weeks, we'll try to study some of those. But this morning... I'd like to invite you into a study of one word, and that is covenant. If you would, please turn with me to 1 Corinthians 11th chapter, just a few chapters over in your Bible. 1 Corinthians 11th chapter, you remember in that upper room a few Sundays ago when we laid out the night before and the day of the crucifixion. Remember we had the upper room over here, and Paul, of course, was not in that upper room because he was an apostle out of season, but yet Jesus revealed to him what happened in that upper room. And so later when he finds out in Corinth that they are not partaking of the Lord's Supper in a righteous manner... He, instead of addressing everything that they've done wrong and giving a long discussion of what they've done wrong, he identifies what they did wrong and said, now let's talk about the way it was in the very beginning. And so if you have your Bible, look at 1 Corinthians 11, chapter and 23. He says he received this from the Lord. And then he tells them in 24 how the Lord took the bread and he broke it and said, it "Is my body and do this in remembrance of me. Now look in 25. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying... This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Pause there for just a moment. In his blood. That's talking about the crucifixion. What does he want us to understand about this cup? He said this cup is my new covenant. Now many times we say the cup is the blood. I think that's perfectly acceptable to say but we're simply trying to emphasize what He does say here. Here He says the cup is the new covenant. Now wait a minute, if Jesus dying on the cross, the shedding of that blood, and now the words are saying this is the new covenant, I have to understand the covenant, or I can't fully understand or appreciate the mystery of what Jesus did for us upon the cross. Now notice he says that the rest of 25, this do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. He wants us to remember that crucifixion, but he also wants us to remember that that crucifixion was for the new covenant. When's the last time you and I have taken the Lord's Supper and as we thought about the cup, we thought in great appreciation for the covenant that was a part of that crucifixion and that cup. You see, if I don't understand the words that the Lord wants us to see, I can't fully appreciate the whole dynamic of the cross. I believe there's some things that are about the cross that we may not fully understand until Jesus comes again and we're on that other side but we ought to at least understand the things that are revealed to us. Let's think about a covenant for just a moment. As we think about a covenant, and notice here's some things as we think about agreement between two parties, and this could be from human to human. We see one that is agreement between two parties, and it's never to be a strong arm agreement. The idea of covenant, as it's used many times from Old Testament to New Testament, and the idea of covenant is is when there is an agreement that benefits the interest of both parties. A second thing that we see in covenant is always a swearing of an oath. In other words, involved in covenant, this is huge, involved in covenant is always a loyalty. It's never just as simple as, hey, this is a contract, black and white. Will you do your part? Oh, I guess I'll do my part. I'll think about it. The idea of covenant is that there's a loyalty there. There's the swearing of the oath that, yes, I am loyal to what is being laid out here. Now, a third thing that's always a part of covenant is that there's always sacrifice being made. As a matter of fact, if you'd have your Bibles, I'd like for you to turn to Genesis, the 15th chapter. If we can understand this aspect, it helps us to better understand maybe then the question of why did Jesus have to die and shed blood for our salvation? As we think about this, I want to take you back in the scriptures to Genesis, the 15th chapter. And this is the covenant that God has made with Abram. You remember God promised many things about the covenant that he the father of a great nation, that he'd give him a land. And at this point, he still doesn't have a son. Remember, for several years, he had to go on faith that God would give him a son. Well, here in the 15th chapter, he's thinking that maybe that son is going to come through his eldest servant in his house, Eleazar. And so God addresses that that's not the way that he's going to bring about this promise of the covenant. And so to make this covenant perhaps more revealing to him, notice what we read as the Lord tells him to do in verse 9. So he said to him, bring me a three-year-old heifer and three-year-old ram, a turtle dove and young pigeon. Then he brought all of these to him and cut them in two down the middle and placed each piece opposite the other and he did not cut the birds in two. Now do you have a picture of this? God is saying to him, I'm going to renew this covenant with you but I want you to bring a ram And I want you to bring a heifer, and we're going to saw it in two down the middle. And we're going to place them apart. We're not trying to be gross. We're trying to picture what the Lord meant by covenant. Why does He have these two animals sawn in two, lying apart from each other? Well, let's read on in 17. And it came to pass when the sun went down and it was dark that behold there appeared a smoking oven and a burning torch that passed between those pieces. On the same day the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying to your descendants I have given this land. And he describes the land. That was a part of the covenant. sawing the sacrifices in two. Walking between them. Later on in Jeremiah, we see Zedekiah, the king. He also was asked by God to do the same thing in making a covenant that would also include the releasing of their Hebrew slaves. As a matter of fact, when we look through the Scriptures, the most common way to refer to establishing a covenant... I'll say that again to emphasize it. The most common way in the old writings to refer to establishing a covenant was called cutting a covenant. It was the idea of the sacrifices cut in two and one would pass through. We're never told exactly why in the scriptures that one would pass through. Some have said it was to be reminded of the severity of breaking a covenant would be the same damage taking a living, ending their life and cutting them in two. The point is that from the beginning of the Bible to the end of the Bible, a covenant involved a sacrifice. But notice also we see that a covenant also involved a witness. And the witness is not here what we generally think of a witness in the way we use it today, where there's a living person that can testify whether or not something is true. The witness here, as it's used back in the Old Testament, was to be a reminder of what took place. For example, in Genesis, the 21st chapter, this is where Abraham was disturbed with Abimelech Abimelech using his wells. And so they make a covenant to resolve this matter. And Abraham wants to make sure that Abimelech remembers this and has a witness to it. And so he gives him seven ewes. And Abimelech says, what's this for? And he says, every time you see those ewes, you're going to be reminded of this. When Jacob and Laban made their covenant with each other, they put a pile of rocks and said, this pile of rocks shall serve as a witness to this covenant that was made. And then also, not as important to this lesson today, but the feast. The feast was also an important part of a covenant. Now, how does all of this play out? When we, look in the New Test, when we look in the Old Testament, we see there are times that God made covenants with individuals, like He did with Abraham, or back in Genesis, the sixth chapter, He made a covenant with Noah. And we read in verse 18, that He says, I will establish my covenant with you. And then in the ninth chapter and in verse 11, He even says that covenant is that I'll never destroy the earth again with water. And you remember the promise of the covenant. Don't confuse the promise with the covenant. Just like it's easy sometimes to confuse, circumcision was not the covenant. That was the promise or that was the sign of the covenant. And so the sign of the covenant for Noah was the rainbow. And so today we still see that sign and that was a promise. That was a sign of the promise that God made. Now, we're saying all that just to put some quick backdrop on the idea of what is a covenant so we can do two things. In the next few minutes, we want to look and see what was the covenant that God established with Israel and then see how that covenant was fulfilled and Jesus established another. If you would look to Exodus, the 24th chapter. In Exodus, the 24th chapter, if you know your Bible, you know that the 20th chapter is where God spoke the Ten Commandments. Now, a lot of time we think that those Ten Commandments was kind of it. That's misleading. That's misleading. There were many other judgments, statutes, and law that God gave the children of Israel. Because keep in mind, He not only governed them spiritually with their religion, but He also governed them morally and as a nation. They had civil laws. In other words, when you read 21, 22, 23, it even talks about animal control. It talks about property rights. There are all kinds of laws that God gave the children of Israel. But as He is establishing a covenant with them, I need to see how this covenant unfolded. Keep in mind, here the covenant was with the entire nation. Before, God would make a covenant with Abram, and he would be a representative of all those. Or he'd make a covenant with Noah, and he'd be a representative of all those. God did not call Moses and say, I'm going to make a covenant with you, and you be a representative of the people. He called together all the people of Israel. And made a covenant with them. Let's begin reading in Genesis the 24th chapter and verse 3. I hope you have your Bible. If you need a pew Bible, it's page 72. Page 72. We're in Exodus the 24th chapter, picking up at verse 3. So Moses came and he told the people all the words of the Lord and all the judgments and all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words which the Lord has spoken, we shall do. And Moses wrote all the words of the Lord, and he rose early in the morning, and he built an altar at the foot of the mountain, and twelve pillars according to the twelve tribes of Israel. Now let's pause here for just a moment. How important is this covenant? You probably know this already. When you read here forward throughout the rest of the Old Testament, everything uses this as either the backdrop or the foundation of the rest of the Old Testament. You can hardly put into words how important this covenant was in the life of these people. If they were going to break the covenant with God, they could not be God's people. That was the blessing of fulfilling this covenant, is that they would be God's people. If they would not keep this covenant, they could not be God's people. All the people are coming together. They're hearing the agreement that God is making. But notice, when it's agreement between God and man, it is God that initiates it. You and I could come up to a covenant agreement and and we could just agree with each other and we could both make suggestions and etc. But that doesn't work with God. God is the one that initiates and lays out this covenant. Now let's read on. We see how important this is. But now as we go to verse 5, then he sent the young men of the children of Israel who offered burnt offerings. Now we see that it involves offerings and sacrifice peace offerings of oxen to the Lord. So there have been several oxen that have been offered here. What's going to happen to their blood in 6? Moses took half the blood and put it in basins and half the blood he sprinkled on the altar. The Hebrew word here for sprinkle is, is really a much stronger word than what we think of maybe where you take fingertips or you take some kind of little device and you sprinkle a little bit. We would understand it better to say sling. How much blood is in several oxen? And you keep all the blood and you divide it in half? You imagine this altar that's been built? And now the Lord says, I want to make a covenant with you. And the people say, we're willing to make this covenant with you? He says, okay, Moses... Do what you're supposed to do. Picture this. He begins to sling half the blood all around that covenant. Can you imagine half of the blood all around the covenant? It goes on from here. Verse 6, Moses took half the blood and put it in basins, half the blood he sprinkled on the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant See, that's the covenant. And he read in the hearing of the people and they said, all that the Lord has said, we will do and be obedient. You see their obligation to obey? They understand that this covenant is bringing with it an obligation to obey God. And notice verse 8. And Moses took the blood. Remember, he still has half left. Sprinkled it on the people. Now you imagine being Israel. You imagine saying, you're going to keep this covenant and Moses comes around with basins and he's slinging the blood of oxen all over the people. You go home that day being people with the blood of that covenant sprinkled on you. We just sung a song just a few minutes ago about the way of the cross and the sprinkled blood of the cross. When you see that kind of language, it's talking about the covenant that was a part of the cross. You can't separate Christ's covenant and the cross. That's where the covenant comes from. Is the blood that was sprinkled At the cross. Now, let's read on the rest of 8, and then we've got to go over to Hebrews and close this lesson. Moses took the blood, sprinkled it on the people, and said, This is the blood of the covenant which the Lord has made with you according to all of these words. So we see the utmost importance of this. We see that it involved blood, and we see that they had an obligation, once they accepted this covenant, to obey God in all the words. Turn with me, if you will, to Hebrews, the 10th chapter. Hebrews, the 10th chapter, which really, we could use this part of the lesson right here to introduce the entire book of Hebrews. Let's just pick out one chapter, and let's scan a few verses to see how God uses the teaching of the covenant to help us to better understand the mystery of the cross. In Hebrews, the 10th chapter, let's think about the utmost importance of the new covenant that comes through Jesus Christ. In verse 10, he says, For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come, and not the very image of the things, can never with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually year by year, make those who approach perfect. Wow. You mean this law that was so important. It was involved in every aspect of their daily life and religion. Did you get what he said about it in verse 1? It was just a shadow. It wasn't the real thing. We've been living by this covenant for centuries. We've been dedicating our life and you're telling me that now there's something so much greater that that was just a shadow of that which is to come. oh yeah friends what the cross brought is absolutely superior drop down and read 9 and 10 then he said behold I have come to do your will O God he takes away the first that he might establish the second speaking of the covenants by that will we have been sanctified how through the offering of the blood of Jesus Christ once and for all Why Jesus? Why Jesus on the cross? If he were not that sacrifice on the cross, he would not have a will to offer us. He would not have a covenant to offer us. Someone says, I don't see why he didn't just let Barabbas. He was a sinner anyway. Let him die. Well, you have a problem with a defiled sacrifice being offered. But secondly, you have the problem with then would we live by Barabbas' covenant? If it's going to be Christ's covenant, Christ's death had to fulfill the old to usher in the new. Now notice in 10, by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. Notice the blood, if you will, as we look to 19 and following. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the Blood of Jesus, the most holy place, could only be entered by the high priest under the old law once a year. But now anyone that comes to God through Jesus, blood can enter in. That's what the new covenant brings that the old covenant could not bring. Now let's read on. By a new and living way. We're going to extend the invitation in just a minute. And we're going to come back to that new and living way there. When Jesus died on the cross, he not only brought redemption, but he brought a new and living way to live, which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance, having our hearts, here is, sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Now we have the blood of Jesus that's offered, that's allowed us to go into the holy place before the presence of God. And now we walk away from the cross and we too have blood slung on us. And the blood that is sprinkled on us goes all the way to the heart. It goes all the way to the conscience so that when you and I go out Monday and we're tempted to do wrong, our conscience says, No, I'm blood-bought. Look at the blood that's flowed through my conscience. Look at the blood that was sprinkled from the cross on me just like The children of Israel could have left that day from the mountain and they could have looked at their arms and their face and they could have said, look at the blood of this covenant. What's the obligation? Look in 26. For if we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sin. And then he talks about how sin... how the punishment for those that sinned under Moses' law. And then he says in 29, How much worse punishment do you suppose will be thought worthy who trampled the Son of God underfoot? Have you pictured that? Do we have an obligation to obey God now that we accept that we want to be His people through His Son? It'd be like pushing Jesus down and walking on His back and saying, I want to do it my way. But notice what else it's like who counted the blood of the covenant by which He was sanctified a common thing. There's nothing common about Jesus dying for us. But if you and I decide to go out tomorrow and live a common life instead of a blood-bought life, we've said that the sacrifice was common. And then finally, he says, and insulted the spirit of grace. Christ, through his death, brought us a new way. We don't have to go through life making the same dumb mistakes and reaping the same harvest from those same dumb mistakes because we've been given a new covenant. We're people of God, not people of the world. We don't have to go through our life now sowing the seeds of sin and reaping the harvest of sin. Yesterday, I was visiting with Griff in the hospital after surgery. And he said, I want to tell you something. And you know how Griff can get emotional. At the end of this, he got emotional. It was a beautiful thing. But he said... I was speaking in California last week to 500 soldiers. He said at the beginning of my talk, he said I just gave a few introductory remarks and the fact that my son lived just a few miles from where I was speaking but uh, I was not going to be able to see him this week but how much I loved him and, and how much I loved my wife. And He said just a few introductory remarks. He said at the end of the seminar, a soldier came up and Griff said I'd given him permission to call me Griff. And he said the soldier came up and said, Griff, where do you go to church? Griff's kind of taken back. He said, Mount Juliet Church of Christ. He said, knew it. I knew you were a member of the church. I could tell by your heart. I could tell by your compassion. I could tell by your life that you were a member of the church. Now, yes, that's a compliment to Griff, but take that out of the picture for a minute. How can one person on the East Coast go to the West Coast and be recognized unless they know covenant people? They know the life that is created anew by people who live for the crucified Lord that's brought a covenant. Thank God Jesus died for the remission of our sins. But thank God He died so that we could belong to Him and live a new and living way. If I'm playing church, I don't understand the cross. The cross is all about leaving here Living a new way. If I'm lukewarm, I don't understand the cross. If today I want to be wholly His, now I'm starting to understand the cross. Have you been baptized into Christ for the mission of your sins? Wouldn't today be a wonderful day to say, "Lord, I'm all Yours. I want to be forgiven." I want to be your people. I want to live for you. I want that new and living way. I've done it my way long enough. I'm ready for your way. If you have been baptized, but somewhere along the way, you've lost the Christian way and you want to come back to Him. Friends, there are many words that describe the cross. All of them are beautiful. One of them is covenant. If we can help you in any way, it comes we stand as we sing. My-